Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Have you ever had something that was maybe small in comparison to real world stuff, but just was so annoying it just kind of sidetracked you? I had that happen uh, this week. I've actually been dealing with it for a couple of weeks. Evidently, if you let your seatbelt buckle close between your door and the door jam, eventually it will cause the door open light to go on and not stop. I mean, it's, you'd be going down the road, lean on the door a little bit, ping, ping. It, it's really annoying, and, and I wish I could express to you how annoying it was, but I, for, for the sake of time, I won't. But it was amazing how you know everything's going right in life, but going down the road, and I thought I had it fixed, and then I turned into my neighborhood, ping, and there it goes again. Door open, courtesy lights come on. And so it wasn't that bad during the daytime, but at night you'd be driving down the road and all of a sudden, ping, and all of a sudden your whole car lights up and you you can't see anything out. So it was just one of those things that was really, really aggravating. And I praise God because last night a buddy of mine uh, called me over to his house and he had all the tools and he proceeded to tear my car apart. I saw pieces of my car door that I didn't even know were in a car door. Evidently, I didn't know this, but my car door has a diaper in it to keep moisture out. He works at a body shop, and and he got me hooked up, and within about ten minutes... It was fixed, and to him, it was just another day at the office. And to me, I'm horrified and amazed all at the same time. And the thing was I was grateful for was that, number one, he offered to do that. But number two, he had the place to do it. He had the skills to use. And most importantly, he had tools that only he would have that most people don't have. And so it was fixed in a relatively short amount of time. And so now if I lean against my door, there's no more ding. And so I am very happy about that. But the reason I share that story with you is this, is that my friend had skills that I did not possess. And more importantly, he had tools that I did not have. And so as we look at our passage today, we have moved from the Beatitudes last week to the salt and light passage and so you and I are to be salt and light to this world. Salt and light are the tools that God gives his believers to make a difference in this world. So what we see is, is that what does God want us to be in this passage? And we find the thrill of making a difference. And so as we begin, actually we're going to begin with verse 13. And let's read verses 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God, may you be with the reading of your word, and may you be in the hearts of the people that hear it, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 
I have to give you a, uh, ask for your forgiveness here because I see that in my haste, I have title slide from last week. That is not the title of our message. The title is correct in your bulletin. The title is finding the thrill of making a difference. As we go through those verses we just read. And the thing is, our actions as believers can be tools. They are tools that are made of salt and light. And they could go a long way to make this world we live in a better place. This is not because you and I are good and strong, but it is the fact that our actions can represent Jesus to a world that needs to see it. The passage of salt and light is not about you, per se. It is not five steps for you to be a better you. That is not what Jesus is trying to convey here. What he's trying to convey is you are good as you are if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now you need to take what Jesus has done in your life and use it for his glory. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are many people today, maybe even you in here, and I struggle with this as well, it's selfishness and it's living for ourselves. And my friend, let me tell you this. If you are living for yourself, if you are living to please, number one, and not worry about the rest, if you are living to please yourself, that ain't living. Excuse my English. Living for yourself ain't living. It's just surviving. And that is not what God has called you to do. That is not what Jesus is talking about. That's right. Living for yourself is not living. It's just surviving. Do you find yourself thinking things like, I want this and I need that. And if I can meet this need this month and then I'll just make it to next month. Or, you know, a a me first person will work just hard enough to get a paycheck and to get what they want. And be miserable for the rest of their life doing it. They will not try to further their organization. They will not try to better themselves. They will just make enough so that they can please whatever desires they have. And as their desires increase, so will their desire to make more money and work themselves to death. And graveyards are filled with people that literally worked themselves to death to collect the things that they wanted for themselves. Jesus gives us a better way. A me-first person in a relationship will only worry about getting their needs met. And if they are not met, they will blame the other person. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to before that will just say, you know what, it's not working anymore. My needs are not being met. And I will ask them, well, what needs have you met for that other person? And then there's radio silence. In a me-first mentality, it's all about us. And again, that's not living. A me-first church member will take advantage of every program the church has and refuse to do anything that may benefit the church. But the thing is, that's not living. It's just simply surviving. And if that has ever been you, how did it work out for you? Take it from me. Take it from my testimony. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I'm, I'm pulling out some of the, the treasures that God has given me along the way, and I'm telling you that it doesn't work. I can, I can give you a testimony because living for yourself leaves you empty. It leaves you spiritually burnout and isolated. 
So what is Jesus trying to teach us here? We were not made to place ourselves first. We were made to place God first and others second. And Jesus lays out the rules of how to live this life the way God the Father has designed it. Don't just sit around and complain about how bad the world is. Boy, there's a lot to talk about right now, isn't there? If you are one fan of one politician or another politician or one football team or another football team or or the weather, and you want to sit down and you want to complain about everything that's going wrong in this world, what does that fix? Nothing. I have seen people that have complained about the president that was elected or the president that was not elected. And they complain and they complain. I say, well, did you vote? And they say, well, no, there was no use to. I said, well, then you need to be quiet. I mean, really? I mean, really? How many problems have been fixed by the, by the group at the, at the McDonald's or the George's or the, the Hardee's that are eating their biscuits, drinking their coffee, and they're talking about every problem that this community has? And they will keep talking and keep talking. In churches, we will keep talking and we will keep praying, but doing nothing about it. We have to do something, and that's what Jesus is talking about. You and I must be salt and light. And when we make a difference, it will be thrilling. If you have never been on a any type of mission project, whether it be local or overseas or somewhere else in America... You have no idea the thrill of what it is to help other people in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer one day that we as a church, I'm very grateful for the missions that we do and the things that we collect and the money that we send. But maybe, just maybe one day, we will have mobilized people and discipled people enough to where we can take mission trips ourselves and go be boots on the ground and help people. And put ourselves second and put him first. So as we look at the text, I want you to look at the first half of verse 13 and the first half of verse 14. One talks about salt. One talks about light. And notice what he says. That living a God-centered life is a decision of your will, not your circumstances. Quit reacting to what life throws at you and throw your faith at your life. Quit responding to what life throws at you, but throw your faith at your life because God is strong enough for that. Notice what he says in verse 13. He starts off with, you are the salt of the earth. It doesn't say your preacher is the salt of the earth. It doesn't say your deacons or your Bible study teachers or your parents or some other person that you follow that's a Christian it doesn't, it doesn't have them. They are the salt of the light, but you are salt of the earth. And then it says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Do you get the message that he's trying to say here? This means yes and this means no. I want you to understand that the word you is not just a secondary personal pronoun. It's not just saying you as in just generically. This is what they call a Greek imperative to where Jesus, when he says, you are the salt of the earth, he is pointing at you and you and you and me, saying you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know when a parent, a spouse, or some type of authority figure asks you to do something and you know it's not a suggestion. You can tell when it's a command. And if you don't, you are reminded very quickly. All I got to do is get the look. And I know when I get the look that I better be stepping. You guys know that look? Okay, just making sure I'm not the only one. And the women won't admit to it, but they see a look too. We all have ways of communicating when we really want something done. And Jesus really wants this done. If you are a believer, you cannot skirt this. You are the salt of the earth. I cannot make it any more clear that Jesus places the ball in your court and in my court to be salt and light. We also see that Jesus' command to you and I as believers is not to retreat from this world, but engage it. If we want to complain about how bad this world is and how rigged the political system is and how far to hell in a handbasket our communities become and we want to lament it and we want to complain about it, we can do that all the way until they shut the doors of this church. Or we can do something about it. We need to quit complaining about what's going wrong and start doing things that are right. It's about time that we started taking that command seriously. Folks, do not write off this community. Do not write off this church. Do not write off your contribution. Because you are here today because somebody did not write you off. We don't need to do the same thing. So, it's time to get salty. As we look at verse 13 as a whole, Matthew 13 again says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is a salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. What we see is that salt has three things that it does. And as we say we need to get salty, some of you older folks may not have heard this before, but I, I, I know I'm not cool with the young kids. I'm, I'm a little, I've aged out of that. But there's a term to say, man, that guy is salty. Molly's smiling, as you know. That guy, that guy is salty or that girl is salty. What does that mean? That means that they probably don't agree with what you're saying, that they have an overall bad attitude, and all they want to do is complain, and they're just in an all-out bad mood. And they're always just kind of throwing that on people. And someone says, man, that guy's salty. That's not the kind of salt that we need to spread. We don't need to be spreading hate, and, and we don't agree with nothing. And if it ain't our tradition, then we're not going to do it. And if... It's just all of these different things. We, that's not the salt that this world needs. The salt that this world needs is the salt of the gospel, the salt of Jesus Christ. And the first thing salt does is give it flavor. Now, I've ate with many of you folks here, and some of you, the first, first, the first thing you go for is the salt shaker even before you taste the food. I'm like, man. And, and I'm telling you what. I, we got the best covered dishes anywhere. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm walking proof, right? We have some great covered dishes, and y'all know just the right amount of salt and just what to do. And and some of you, if I didn't put enough salt in something I brought, you were nice enough to tell me. But the thing is, is that I, I would rather have somebody tell me it needs salt, or I'd rather somebody 
Use the salt that's there to give it flavoring. That's what salt does. It gives it flavoring. It gives the food flavoring. Now, salt is seasoning and it makes food better. And Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the world. So what does that mean? It means just that. We make the world better when we act like Jesus tells us to act. You are salt of the world. You may be, there will be people that they'll hear me preach today and like, man, he is a windbag, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't want to go to church, blah, blah, and all this stuff. But yet they see you in school. They see you at work. They hear you on the telephone. They go out to eat with you. And all of a sudden you're talking to them about spiritual things and you are the salt of the earth. They will listen to you. There are many people that will not listen to me and I'm okay with that. Because it's not up to just me. You are salt of the earth. Salt gives flavors. It gives seasoning. And God has placed us in this Homeland Park community to give this community a little flavor. I'm proud of our church. But I hope that we can do more. I hope that if our doors ever close, somebody will notice. I hope that we make a difference. I pray that we make a difference. Jesus said, you and I are salt of the world. We are the ones that will make this a better place. So quit complaining about it and start shaking your salt. Not only does salt give flavor, salt preserves. Some of you may know what I'm talking about when I talk about Virginia ham. You ever had, you ever heard the term Virginia ham? That is like the ham that you buy and my mouth is already getting dry when I think about it. But you will eat that ham, and it is so salty, you will lose 20% of the water in your body when you put it in your mouth. I mean, it just soaks up all of that. It is so salty and so good and so bad for you. But the reason they did that back in the day is because, believe it or not, they didn't have Frigidaires. They didn't have Whirlpools. They didn't have Kidmores. They didn't have all of these things to keep the meat cold, especially back in the day when Jesus is teaching this and they're living out in the desert, the only way they had to preserve their meats were to put it in sand. Sand, salt. You are the sand of the world. No, that's not what I mean. You are the salt of the world. He would put it into salt. I could get desert, sand, salt. You could have done the same thing. But they would put the meat in the salt and that would preserve the meat long enough to where they could either take it to where they are going or eat it without it spoiling. You see, you and I are the preservatives of this world. Meaning that if you and I believe the world is so bad, we need to make it a better place. And by God's grace, it will last a little longer. If you don't like the way your world is, Change it. And it begins with you. And it begins with me. And then the third thing about salt, salt has value. You ever heard of the term, that man's worth his salt? Or that girl's worth her salt? That actually came from, back in the Roman days, they would actually pay soldiers and servants in salt because salt was so valuable back then. So if someone was worth their salt, that's how they got their payment. I want you to understand that back in the day when Jesus wrote this, salt was about like gold. It was it was worth a lot. The stuff that you have on your, your table, 
that you can pour on the table and just kind of blow it off the table or use it to keep your napkin from sticking to your glass, whatever you want to do with it. That that was big money back then. So if you want to be the salt of the earth, that means that you will help preserve this earth. This means that you will flavor this earth, and it means that you have value. There are many people that would say that the Christian community has a lot of talk and no action anymore. And I think in a lot of ways we we earn that. But for people that are out and they are salt of the world, they are going out and taking their belief and acting on it, we are making a difference. And then the third thing we see is that we need to let your light shine. You need to let your light shine. I need to let my light shine. In verses 14 through 16. Oh, I missed a slide. When I was talking about value, can we go back one, Trista? Making a difference for Jesus in today's world has value for today and forever. I was talking with, um, I was talking with Weldon the other day, and we were talking about a, a former youth pastor that we knew. And I was telling him that how, you know, that youth pastor poured into me, and that's why I'm here today, is that he, he saw potential in this little pudgy kid that wanted to play football and play guitar. And he's poured his life into me. And now because of what he did, I'm doing. And because now what I'm doing, hopefully something is happening with you. You can make a difference for Jesus in today's world. And that has value for today and forever. We need to let our light shine. In verses 14 through 16, he says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead... A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Folks, we must shine like Jesus Jesus shines. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he means that we reflect his light like a lighthouse. Like the picture that I show you up there, I don't know if you know how lighthouses work, but they have that real bright bulb that is on the top of that lighthouse. And then there is a lens or a a reflector behind it. That's what causes the light to go out. That's what projects the light. And then once it's projecting the light, it has to get past the lens to be able to project that. So we need to make sure that the light is bright. And my friend, Jesus Christ is the light. He is always the light and he will never dim. We don't have to worry about the light because the light is the light. That's deep, isn't it? But what we have to worry about is we have to make sure that our lives are clean, that we keep the lens clean so that that light can go out and penetrate. And I don't know if you caught this, but he said, you are the what? The light of the world, right? Is that what he said? Y'all got your Bibles with you. He said, you are the light of the world. But notice in John eight twelve, Jesus spoke to the people once and he said, I am the light of the world. So if he says that he is the light of the world and he says you are the light of the world, if we are a Christian, we are taking him and taking him to a dark and dying world. So if we follow Jesus, we will not have to walk in darkness. And if we shine, those that are in our path will not have to walk in darkness either. But don't be afraid to shine. Many believers 
want to shine just enough to feel like they're honoring Jesus' command, but they don't want to shine so bright that anybody will notice them. I don't know about you, but if I have a light, a headlight on my car that's not shining, I'm going to replace it because it's doing me no good. As believers, we must shine our light. Why do we hide our light? Sometimes we don't want to attract any attention. We're afraid somebody might get mad at us. We're afraid of what what repercussions that might have. But my friend, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. If there are any repercussions for shining out Jesus' light, it'll be nothing but for our good and for the benefit of those that it's shining upon. Don't be afraid to shine. And here's the most important part. Hear me out. Shine where you are. Just shine where you are. A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Check this out. And I might be meddling for a second. And I I don't apologize for it because this is what the passage says. Where does the light start? In the home. On the lampstand. Your light begins at home. You can shine for all to see outside of the walls of your home, but you are fooling no one if you are not shining Jesus' light within the walls of your very own home. It may be working now, but like a house of cards, it will fall any day. C.T. Studd, who was a British missionary, once said, The light that shines farthest shines the brightest at home. Folks, Jesus is not teaching this to condemn you. He's not trying to make you feel bad, but what he's saying is he's trying to help you and I focus our lights and focus our efforts and focus our vision. What kind of pastor would I be if my home life was in a shambles? What kind of life or what kind of impact would our leadership in our church have if we come to church and we smile and we look great, but when we go back home, We're doing none of what we teach. That'd be pretty bad, preacher. Well, if you are the light of the world, what if you're doing the same thing? Don't make it a double standard. Don't make it a double standard. Jesus is not teaching this to condemn us, but to help us. Folks, Jesus is calling you to draw into God for him to give you the strength at home. For example, let me show you this verse. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. Last but not least, this world needs salt and light. This world needs Salt and light. Folks, you will find the thrill of making a difference when it starts at your home. Trying to keep up the appearance of being a salt shaker and a light bearer when you're not really one, that is exhausting and it's self-defeating. Just take a moment and just imagine. Just imagine with me. Imagine what would happen if fathers and mothers... And wives made a willful commitment before God to make Christ the light that shines the brightest in their home. 
Imagine families confessing to one another where they have let other things take the place of Jesus in their home. Just imagine what you could do if a father would, would ask their children or a, fa- a spouse, a husband would ask his wife or a wife would ask her husband to say, look, I am sorry I have not put God first in our home. And we're supposed to be light in the outside of these walls, but inside we got work to do. Can you imagine people say, well, I ain't doing that. I'm the man of the house. I don't need to say anything like that. And you're afraid someone might disrespect you? Man, I'm telling you what. Somebody will respect someone who is genuine than someone who is putting on a show. You want to know where the light starts? You want to know how to change the community? You want to know how to change the church? Change your heart and change your home. Make God a priority in your home, not just Sunday. Look, don't get me wrong. Hey, thank you for coming today. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope that God has has spoken to you this morning. But my greater prayer is if you never come in these doors again, start it at home. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You can start today and say, okay, family, today we are going to put God first. Every team needs a coach. Every family needs a leader. Every church needs a leader. Every organization needs a leader. Will you be man or woman enough to stand up and say, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And we are going to start in our home today. Imagine what would happen. You will only know the thrill of making a difference as a disciple of Christ through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And the great thing is Jesus offers and paid for all of those. Let your light shine today, folks, because this world needs it more than ever. And so do you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and for the Sermon on the Mount that is teaching us how to live life. And it begins at the home as we shine at home and shine out our light to the world, Lord. The Lord, we need to take this responsibility seriously. Being a believer is not, it's not something you sit back and watch. It's something you participate in. You didn't call us to be in the stands. You called us to be on the field. So dear Heavenly Father, it is my prayer today that if there is one person here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, and and they have seen today, Lord, that you are the true light, and that they need you, that they need to confess that they've been trying to live life on their own. They need to repent of their sins. And they need to follow you that if someone wants to know you today beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are your sa- that you are their savior and that if they were to die today they would go to heaven then may they please come forward in just a moment and that they may be scared to do that because it's a large crowd but there is not one person in here that would not rejoice if one person would come forward if you don't want to come by yourself drag somebody with you Don't miss this opportunity because you're not guaranteed you'll get it again. Maybe there's a family or maybe there's a person who just wants to come to this altar and dedicate themselves or rededicate themselves 
to you or their family or both. Maybe they just want to pray where they are. Maybe they want to join this church or be baptized. Whatever their decision is, this is a moment to where they can respond. And Lord, if anything happens, Lord, it is only because of your Holy Spirit. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.